everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Insurance Uncovered. Today, NAMIC kicks off Season 5 of our podcast with all new insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering infrastructure funding. The deadline to apply for FEMA's BRIC program is fast approaching. Plus, NAMIC's regional vice presidents share insights on critical insurance issues facing legislative action around the country. And last week's wildfire in Colorado has become the largest in state history. What officials estimate the damage to be as cleanup gets underway. The deadline is fast approaching for states and communities to seek funding for repair and replacement of hardening homes and infrastructure in the face of severe climate events. January 28th is the cutoff date to apply for funding from the Federal Emergency Management Agency's Building Resilient and Infrastructure Communities Program. A total of $1 billion will be awarded this year for undertaking risk-reducing mitigation activities. Last year, there was high demand for the initial round of BRIC funding, with FEMA receiving nearly $5.5 billion in requests from 53 states and territories that applied for a total of what was then $500 million. Ahead of this year's application period, NAMIC unveiled the BRIC Pocket Guide to help communities plan for mitigation projects and best position themselves for funding from the BRIC program. NAMIC is continuing to distribute the guide on a nationwide basis to help focus state and community governments on assessing their risks and taking steps toward increasing resilience. You can access the guide at NAMIC.org. Officials in Colorado say the December 30th wildfire caused at least $513 million in damage and destroyed nearly 1,100 homes and structures, making the event the most destructive wildfire in state history. Catastrophe modeler Karen Clark and company forecast the fire will result in roughly $1 billion in insured losses. The cause of the wildfire is still under investigation after thousands were forced to evacuate on very little notice. The flames erupted following months of drought and fed on dry grassland surrounding the Rocky Mountain foothills. On today's unscripted interview, we want to introduce our listeners to some of NAMIC's advocacy team, the people who are on the ground in states nationwide standing up for insurers' interests. It's part of our Turn to NAMIC campaign to connect with association members and reintroduce the many ways NAMIC is here to serve them. Today, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldrich kicks off the first in a new series of interviews that feature three of the association's regional vice presidents. They'll be discussing some of the major issues facing the insurance industry in state legislatures this year. So joining me today on Insurance Unscripted, we have three of NAMIC state advocates with us. They're part of a 10-member state legislative staff that stands up for insurers for you, for our members' interests, in state legislatures all around the country. Uh, and here we are in early January, and as many of you know, state legislatures get started this time of year, and so the activity begins to ramp up pretty quickly. Some states are in all year round, but most of them have an adjourned date, and they then restart in January. And the activity begins in earnest in many places quite quickly. So we thought it was relevant today to kind of touch base with uh, some of our state advocacy staff and see what's on their minds, what priorities they see for member companies, and what hot topics we see coming uh, here in 2022. So we're going to start uh, with NAMIC's Assistant Vice President of State Affairs, new to this role, Andrew Kirkner, 
Uh, Andrew's been with us for several years as a regional vice president uh, covering the mid-Atlantic region of the country, and Andrew was recently promoted uh, to head up the state advocacy team all around the country. And so, Andrew, we're going to start with you today. Uh, thanks for joining us. So why don't you give us kind of a high-level overview of what some of the trends are, the hot issues we see for this session. Sure. Thanks, Neil. It's good to be with you today. Um, so I guess the, the first issue that's that's sort of unfortunately going into its uh, third year at this point um, is, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but COVID, right? So we have all the, the challenges associated with COVID, uh, whether that's business interruption insurance, whether that's uh, liability issues surrounding COVID, but we have one that I think folks may not uh, think about immediately when it comes to state advocacy, and that's access to state houses. So in a lot of the spring sessions that are kicking off uh, this week and next week uh, for the 2022 sessions, our access as advocates is limited. So whether that is uh, physical limitations, not being able to go in buildings and talk to legislators, uh, or, or substantive limitations, so limitations on bills and things like that, um, really, the, the legislative world is still not yet back to normal, and we expect uh, that it won't be uh, through much of 2022 as well. Um, that's that's sort of a double-edged sword for us and our team. Uh, for one, you know, it's harder to get in uh, to, to legislators' offices when we see those last-minute amendments or bad ideas, uh, and so you can't go, you know, see, see somebody in the hallway. But but there's a positive to it too that we saw in 2021 and we're expecting again in 2022 which is the ability for the rvps to, to testify in more locations around the country it's a lot easier to, to close one zoom window and open another one uh, than it is uh, you know for john for example to fly from uh, texas to arizona in one day so there are some positives there and certainly we try to try to um, emphasize those positives uh, in those places so that's sort of the, the procedural issues. If we look at a high level overview of the substantive uh, issues and sort of the challenges and opportunities that we're looking at this year, uh, the first is, is sort of uh, the onslaught of risk-based pricing bills, uh, threats to risk-based pricing. Um, we've already seen in, in the pre-filing and early days of session bills to uh, limit or remove territorial rating, which uh, as you know, is the original rating factor, sort of the basis uh, for much of what we do in the insurance world. Uh, several bills across the country to prohibit or limit the use of gender or gender ID in auto insurance rating. Uh, and so, you know, obviously that, that's another uh, challenge to risk-based pricing. Um, we're seeing sort of a, what I'd call a reverse tort reform in a number of jurisdictions. So uh, increased exposure to bad faith, uh, larger potential verdicts, uncapped damages, uh, things like that. Um, really a, a reversion of, of some important tort reform efforts uh, that we saw in the early 2000s, early to mid uh, 2000s. So um, that, you know, there's no lack of, of things to do for our team. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, we do have some some positive things as well. We're seeing we are seeing some jurisdictions that are considering uh, additional tort reform, uh, things like a phantom damages proposal in West Virginia, uh, as well as a number of other other states as well. So we do have um, sort of two uh, two regions we'll we'll highlight today, and I, I would just point out our two sort of uh, topics on the front burner uh, are the uh, rulemaking process in Colorado. Uh, as a result of some disparate impact uh, legislation uh, last year. Uh, and then also, uh, and it's it, this is very timely because I believe the bill is being voted on today, uh, an expansion of bad faith 
exposure in New Jersey. So uh, both of those are sort of high level, really uh, right out of the gate issues uh, for 2022. Great. So, yeah, why don't we go ahead and pivot right to one of the states and we'll start with Rory Whelan, who's joining us today. Rory uh, covers the northeast region from us. That's New Jersey to Maine for us here at NAMIC. Um, and New Jersey, from time to time over the years, has always been a source of mischief uh, and regulatory fun and all sorts of issues. It used to always be the auto insurance issues in New Jersey, but of late we have bad faith issues that seem to be front and center. So, Rory, why don't you give us an update on where we stand with it and how things look at the moment? Thanks, Neil. Uh, as you say, they're at it again in New Jersey, and this time the trial bar. Uh, bolstered by the fact that one of their very own trial lawyers is now the Senate president. Uh, he's sponsoring uh, a, th this bill that would place benign negligence or simple cases of simple mistakes uh, and, and apply it to a bad faith cause. Uh, the, this only applies to UM and UIM cases for now, but the, the, the principal problem, and this makes New Jersey really an outlier, is that you don't need to prove anything more than a, sim a simple mistake. So unlike other states like Pennsylvania, who recently passed a, a, another bad faith law, in Pennsylvania, you must prove that the conduct was intentional or reckless. There's no such burden uh, in this bill. Uh, and, and again, it really is uh, the, the trial bar uh, just kind of muscling their way um, through the legislature. Yeah, that uh, it's hard to imagine that a simple mistake really meets the test for, you know, the point of what bad faith is supposed to solve for. Uh, so it's challenging to, to you know, see that kind of development going on. That's uh, exactly right. And, and look, the, the end result is uh, these these claims will be settled uh, and they'll be settled for more money and more money. Uh, and it is going to to raise rates incredibly. The sponsor amended the bill recently, uh, and we question the constitutionality of this, of course, but it, it would say that the insurers cannot pass the costs of litigation on through premiums. And furthermore, restricts the right, the, the First Amendment right of insurers from notifying their, uh, their customers uh, of, of this law, quite frankly. So, you know, we, we, I have talked to a number of, uh, of our members about um, constitutional claims and will certainly, uh, if the bill does pass the assembly and the governor signs it, we'll, we'll revisit that issue for sure. And NAMIC's part of the coalition there, right? Fighting this. And, and is there anything specifically member companies can do in addition to our normal activity here? Yes, and they have. Uh, we, uh, you're right, Neil. Uh, about 80 organizations uh, are, are a ad hoc uh, coalition, if you will, uh, opposed to this. Um, through NAMIC's uh, Action Alert, we have our call to action. Uh, many of the companies have done likewise, and of course, ICNJ, the state trade in New Jersey, has also spearheaded a strategic communications campaign, uh, engaging the public uh, to call their assembly members. Uh, and again, I, I think, you know, we have won the hearts of, of the assembly. Uh, the problem is the, the Senate, uh, through political pressure, uh, is really bullying uh, folks into uh, moving to the yes column. 
well, hopefully we can be victorious here. It's a challenging environment for certain. And uh, the Northeast doesn't lack for those. Uh, you have uh, uh, several challenging environments. So why don't we look at some of your other states in that part of the world and, and what do you see here this year for us? Sure. Uh, so principally in New York, the, the trial lawyers have now made wrongful death their number one issue. So they have their own uh, strategic communications campaign and a call to action um, engaging the public to support uh, the wrongful death legislation. So that'll be a big one in, in New York. Uh, to Andrew's uh, earlier uh, comments about risk-based pricing, that will continue to be a hot issue in the Northeast, in particular uh, in New Jersey, um, where there's an active bill, and in Rhode Island. Yeah, that part of the world has always uh, been a challenging environment for, for insurers, uh, for certain. But generally, we tend to be able to get to some point of reasonableness. But I worry this session may be, uh, may be a challenge for us. But thanks, Roy, for all your work there on behalf of the membership. And I know you're going to be busy. Uh, sure thing, Neil. Thank you. Sure thing. Thanks for joining us today. We also have John Schnauz with us. John is based in Texas. Uh, it has a new state in his uh, area of coverage in Colorado. He covers kind of this, what we call the Southwest, uh, but it's not all Southwest when you include Colorado. But uh, John, why don't you talk a little bit about the Colorado law that was passed last year, kind of the first of its kind. It was a risk-based pricing kind of epicenter last year, a kind of a strange bill passed. Um, as it relates to how they're approaching these issues as it relates to disparate impact and what the commissioner is supposed to do here. So why don't you kind of walk us through that and see where, tell us where things stand today. Sure. Thank you, Neil. Glad to join. Um, I guess first thing I should say, it always makes me feel a little better about the tort environment in my region when I hear about Rory's region. So thank you, Rory. <laughs> but challenges in the Southwest as well. Um, I will say, so I, as you alluded to, Neil, I'm, I'm new to covering Colorado as of about 10 days ago, technically. Um, trying to describe this bill is sort of like trying to describe all the Friday the 13th movies without having seen the first, like, 15 of them, but <laughs> there is some repetition. So um, the one thing, I guess, to start off with, this is Senate Bill uh, 21-169 from last year, and it is uh, an unusual bill or sort of a one-of-a-kind bill. You know, most of these that we deal with across the states are just straight-up factor bans of some sort. Um, what this bill is, and it was primarily driven, as a lot of these were, by sort of social and racial unrest issues, kind of reemerging some of these, particularly racial in Colorado. Um, what the bill does is, instead of banning factors, it would require insurers to essentially stress test all the external data um, models, algorithms that they use. And some of this, I apologize, I had to look at my notes, but I need to quote it directly because it's just that complicated. And essentially a test that what they're doing with those does not unfairly discriminate against protected class. And the protected class definition there is what I would recall the sort of the broad categories of protected classes, basically everything you can think of beyond federal law, what you would see in a, a kind of a progressive state like Colorado. Um, what the bill does is kind of lay out the broad parameters of all that and then punt all the details to the commissioner. Um, essentially, it sets up a stakeholder process followed by a rulemaking process, the results of which, whatever they may be, cannot be effective before January 1st of next year. 
So what we knew we were getting into and still are getting into is a process of some sort that's going to play out this year and that presumably is going to end with some sort of department rulemaking. Um, another interesting point about this bill, it's got what I would describe as sort of its schizophrenic aspects, like a lot of really complex bills. Um, there's a provision in the bill, for example, that says very clearly Insurers are not required by the bill to collect protected class information. What it leaves completely unanswered is, okay, well, if they're not going to do that, if they're not required to, perhaps, but how are they ever going to comply with the bill without doing that? So, of course, raising that tension is kind of one of the substantive points that we want to want to get to. The other issue that's a little bit um, speaking out of both sides is in the definition of unfair discrimination. Um, it is sort of based on a disparate impact standard, I would say, but it's even more complicated than that. It basically says, you know, the unfair standard would be um, a correlation between a protected class and a particular factor that's being used if it exceeds some sort of reasonable correlation that exists. Well, what does that mean? I mean, the bill doesn't define it, leaves it all to rulemaking. So in terms of where the process is right now, what we thought was going to happen, we're told was going to happen, is that roughly by the end of January, the department would begin a stakeholder process. And this would be a broad, multi-month, somewhere probably between two and six months, holding stakeholder meetings, preparation for actual rulemaking. What we had learned last month was then that the department's intention, commissioner's intention, was to proceed after that with life insurance, followed by health insurance, followed by PNC. Um, and frankly, I think that already is a victory for our part of the industry because I don't see any advantage to going first. <laughs> going last may also be bad, but we will at least get some benefit from sort of knowing how the other lines are treated. Um, what has changed about that plan is, and I'll mention this in just a minute when we get to the other issues in Colorado right now, the uh, commissioner's focus in the last 10 days or so has completely shifted away from this issue, understandably so. Colorado, right at the end of the year, had probably the most devastating series of wildfires affecting the suburban areas outside of Boulder, um, probably around a thousand structures completely destroyed. All of the department's effort is going to be in that. And so I think that stakeholder process that we were thinking was going to start later this month is probably going to start in February at the earliest. Um, I will say, so in terms of our goals and kind of strategy, two things substantively to talk about. One is there's an educational component here. Um, the commissioner in a lot of discussions has disclaimed the desire to use this bill as simply a backdoor way to ban things like credit-based insurance scoring, CBIS. Um, we made a comment on a quarterly meeting and I, I wrote it down as a direct quote because I thought it was interesting. You know, he said the goal was wanting to understand what companies understand about this, which I think is sort of a strange framework. Um, he has made several comments, I think, too, that have kind of alluded to companies thinking that companies know more about exactly what all the implications of this are than they are saying. And one of the educational components we have is that's not accurate in the way that I think he thinks it's accurate. And we, we need to do some work there to, to bolster that argument. Um, secondary to that, kind of a, a set of two issues. One is 
the privacy and practicality concerns around trying to collect this sort of information to comply with the bill are real and serious and very hard to wire around. And the commissioner needs to, we need to help him understand that because it's a real concern. And then the second issue is even if you could get that information, what would you do with it? And that goes to kind of this definition of unfair discrimination and, and where that would actually kick in and how. Um, so I mentioned uh, the other thing that we're dealing with, of course, there is all of this getting pushed back by the wildfires. And I will mention that just briefly. We already knew that was going to be an issue for the Colorado session, but I think now it's going to be an even bigger one. Um, we already were looking at legislation around increasing the initial payouts on contents. Uh, Colorado already has a law that requires an offer of 30% without an inventory. A bill is going to be filed to raise that to 90. Um, we're already dealing with that one. We already knew it was coming. This will only increase, I think, the, the heat behind it. ALE extensions under insurance is now becoming an issue the legislature may look at. Um, I'll stop there for a second. That's a pretty good overview of Colorado, but suffice to say, it's going to be a very busy session for us and the rest of the industry there. Yeah, no doubt. And I can tell you, in my 20 years of doing this stuff, and most of that time doing what you guys do in states, uh, that Colorado bill is a unicorn uh, in terms of its approach to this issue, and nobody really knows how this whole process is ultimately going to be resolved. My hunch is going to be there's going to be follow-on legislation at some point in time to try to make some sense of this mess that they've created in this first pass. But none of that gives much comfort to members trying to do business there and just trying to navigate the, the regulatory waters. Uh, and, and that's going to be a complicated situation for us. And I know you're going to be busy there for sure, John. So I know you've got some other states in the region, obviously, that have got some challenges. I don't know if you want to give us a quick kind of walk around some of your other states this year. Yeah, very quickly. Thanks. So uh, Arizona actually starts today, uh, fittingly enough. So um, Arizona, typically not as quite as active as a state as Colorado. Um, it will have quite a few bills. I was just looking this morning, a few that actually may be beneficial to us in terms of some ways that policy notices are provided and kind of technical details like that, but things that are very uh, helpful. One thing that I'll preface that I think Andrew is going to talk about at the end as well, we know Arizona is going to be a state where we're going to see a dog breed uh, underwriting restriction bill. We got pretty good indication from the sponsor of that bill at, at NCOIL back in uh, when it was in Scottsdale in November that that was going to happen. Um, also expecting fairly busy sessions in Utah, which starts next week, and Oklahoma, which doesn't start until February. Um, the issues there, Utah, not a hugely active state in a negative way for us usually, but there will be some trial bar issues to deal with. And then Oklahoma, the, the biggest bill probably that we know about there is around data privacy, which obviously is an issue we follow nationally. And that's a pretty good overview of the region. Great. Thanks, John. Uh, well, Andrew, we're going to wrap up things with you. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about kind of what we expect some of these issues that may appear in some of the national conversations, perhaps at NCOIL or other national legislative bodies as well. Sure, yeah, Neil, I think it's easy to look at any of these uh, states we just discussed and any of the issues we just discussed and think, you know, that's a, that's a localized issue and a one-off bill. Unfortunately, uh, as you know from your time in the states, you know, these issues sort of uh, metastasize from state to state. They hop borders uh, and in fact, 
uh, lots of times. Um, a bill passing in one state is is all the rationale needed for it to pass in another. Uh, Rory mentioned briefly the fight in New Jersey. You know, a, a big argument of the proponents is that you know Pennsylvania did something similar before, right? Now it's being uh, contorted and misrepresented. But uh, if you look for the last several sessions in Virginia, we've had a similar UM UIM bad faith measure, and so now the proponents here in Virginia, if that bill is ultimately successful in New Jersey, will be able to point there. I say that only to, to point out uh, that these ideas, once they get legs, uh, tend to spread. And I think that's probably true uh, at the national level, too, at the NAIC and INQUIL. Um, at uh, the NAIC's most recent meeting in San Diego, Commissioner Conway from uh, Colorado did a presentation on the bill John just discussed. Uh, and I think uh, it, it, it would be uh, a reasonable interpretation to say that the commissioner may have uh, good intentions here, but certainly that the bill uh, and, and what we anticipate, the regulatory process, uh, maybe don't uh, align from a, from a, a practical perspective uh, with how the industry operates, with risk-based pricing as a whole. So certainly it's incumbent upon us to be engaged in those discussions at NAIC uh, for NAMIC and its member companies to be engaged in the process more broadly. Uh, at Incoil, same same uh, plug, uh, you know, we've got uh, the dog breed bill uh, that John mentioned that's a threat to insurers' ability to underwrite. And so certainly uh, we'll, we'll uh, show up and we'll, we'll be advocating for member companies in opposition uh, to those restrictions on underwriting. So um, the, we, I don't want it to sound all doom and gloom. We certainly have some, some opportunities where we're going to play offense in the states. Uh, and I would just say there that uh, our ability to play effective offense, to be uh, advocates for the members uh, in, in, in part relies on feedback from members. So we certainly love to hear from member companies uh, on proposals, on ideas to uh, prospective ideas to improve insurance marketplaces uh, and certainly stand ready to do that. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember the quaint old days when we used to talk about reforming state insurance regulation. We ran around the country and passed bills we actually liked. Um, and, you know, we, we actually made some progress on things like rate modernization and things like that. But those seems like those times are, are, are in the rearview mirror, at least for the short term here and have been for some time. But listen, thank you all for joining me today. I say all the time. It's not just lip service. NAMIC has the best advocates in the business, and you guys are on the front lines every day, uh, standing in member company shoes, uh, representing their interests uh, in state legislative bodies around the country. And I know they appreciate it. I know I appreciate it. And uh, you all do a great job for it. So we'll have plenty of time throughout the year to catch up, and we'll talk to some of the others along the way as well. And we'll, we'll be visiting these topics regularly, I have a feeling. So thank you all. And that's a wrap for this first episode of Insurance Uncovered in 2022. We'll be back again on January 26th with more insurance news and interviews, including thoughts on this year's economic outlook from South Carolina University's Bob Hartwig. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.